welcome to Exploring the Marketplace podcast. My co-host is Bob Hassan, and we are creating a conversation with Christian marketplace leaders who have careers that have been impacted by their faith. We are also answering your questions about entrepreneurship, business leadership, careers, and how the kingdom of God changes your impact in the marketplace. Come join the conversation now. We always have incredible guests on, Bob, but today I'm really looking forward to our time with Jimmy Horner. Tell us all about him. Well, Jimmy has the worst bio in the history of the world, first of all. So we can just have a conversation about him. He and his wife are the senior leaders of the mission in Tijuana. And uh, they're, it's an orphanage base, and they have an orphanage base in Romania. Wow. And we've had Gina on before, which has been amazing. Her vision of seeing a world without orphans, yeah. not just hypothetically, but like they're really building towards that, believing that their grandkids won't understand. It'll be like little orphan Annie movies. There won't be any orphans around because there's so many people taking care of them and families are being healed. And so they do that at the base, which is amazing. And we have ministries sometimes like this on because they're, they're operating at such a high level of organization yeah. that it's really good for people in the marketplace to hear what's going on in this space and hear how God's working in the same maybe level of organization that they have in a mainstream marketplace group. Yeah. In a ministry, and I think this is going to be really fascinating for a lot of people. Jimmy, uh, Jimmy wouldn't say this, but he's the CEO of of the mission, and so he's responsible for all the stewardship, all the direction, all the cost cutting when when they need to. He he and his wife have been married a long time, and they've got four beautiful daughters, mm-hmm. and they have all these other orphan kids that they call their sons and daughters. So wow, um, it, it's really amazing. So uh, Sean, up next, we've got Jimmy Horner. My name is Sean Bowles. I'm hosting a class called Your Prophetic Journey, and I've never taught a class quite like this before. And I want to invite you to be a part. God is revealing himself through our journey of life all the time and speaking to us through everything around us if we just know how to look. Join me for a four-week class that will help you navigate through how to track, categorize, and then see and look for what God's saying to you in the now by having a very clear history of what he's already said. Through this class, you're going to categorically go through your own personal sign journey with God over which biblical characters mean the most to you, which historical figures, which number signs, animal signs, even biblical stories that God's weaving into your life to tell you his story for your destiny and your relationships. You're going to have practical tools to chart out how to listen to new prophetic words and that things that God's telling you so that you'll be able to weigh them alongside your overall journey and make the best decisions and create actionable steps with these words. There's a whole web series at YouTube where I tell stories and process prophetic events that's going to help you to supplement this journey that is your prophetic journey that's going to help you pursue God just the way you've always wanted to. And this comes from a class and a model that I've practiced myself for decades that I've now broken down for you. So come join my class. Welcome back. Well, Sean, I am sitting here with my friend, Jimmy Horner. I know. I love that you're in the room, Jimmy. You're actually at his house. At the house, in the place. So good to be here. How far away is your base from there? You know, we're only like 40 or 50 miles, but it depends on the border. It could be a two, (laughs) three hour, 40 miles. Yeah. It's It's pretty much driving where I have to. I'm just kidding. Well, we're excited about our interview today because I know Bob and I have known you for a while, especially Bob and Lauren. They've just done life with you and Gina and we've had Gina on and she made you look real good. So everyone's really excited to have you on just because we know a little bit about what you're building. And we're in love with the fact that you guys are going after children at risk in the way that you're doing it with orphans and schools. And it's just phenomenal. But take us on the journey because you grew up in this. Tell us, give us kind of a bird's eye view of what you grew up in and then where you're at now. 
Yeah, well, I grew up, um, we originated out of the Northern California Bay Area, and I was 10, almost 11 years old, and my parents called my sister and myself into my grandparents' family room, sat us down and just said, hey, do you remember that that orphanage that we visited uh, last summer in Mexico? And we were super excited. Like, yeah, we loved it. It was a really fun trip. And all honesty, it was probably because we went to Disneyland on the way home. had <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with Mexico. But um, they, they were like, that's great. We're so glad that, that you enjoyed yourself because we actually heard from God and we're going to move to Mexico and build wow. the same type of place. And uh, within six months of them having that encounter with the Lord and, and then telling us they had sold their business, they had sold their home. Uh, everything they had except for two cars and whatever they could fit in it. And they moved us to Tijuana, Mexico. And um, it was about a year and a half process of living at men's rescue missions, other orphanages that had already been started while they were looking for land and trying to figure out like where they were going to plant. And, um, and so after a year and a half, they found land. I was, yeah. And I had the, I had the privilege of, of, being one of the first people to see our property with my dad, wow. east side of Tijuana, um, drove, we're on a hill overlooking this valley. I mean, there was nothing there. It was 10 miles of the, uh, at the end of a 10 mile dirt road. Wow. Um, no electricity, no water, a few, a handful of ranches in this valley. And uh, they ended up buying it for a very small amount of money and moved us in travel trailers to it. Oh, and, wow. um, and so, three travel trailers, two families, and it became the the family business. Um, we <laughs> literally, uh, we got out there in travel trailers and you first you build a water tank and your parents put shovels in your hands and you dig the septic tanks. Wow. And it took another, almost another year before the first home was built and the first group of kids actually came in to the orphanage. Now, did you, because your parents had the mission, did you feel like empowered by that or did you feel stuck in it? Oh, I, it, it genuinely, my parents did an amazing job with us, especially when we were young of including us. Nice. It, it was the family. Well, obviously business. you're working now. I mean, you inherited it. So obviously there was a passion in you from a young age. I mean, that's beautiful. That doesn't always happen. Yeah. Wow. Tell us, this is incredible. Tell us uh, how many buildings and how many square feet are on that base in Mexico now? Don't know the number of buildings, but we have just over 30 acres and we have uh, almost 90,000 square feet. Wow. building that's there. And that's been built primarily by uh, youth groups, kids on the ground. Um, we have a 36,000 square foot, our main church building now. And uh, honestly, I think 95% of that building was built by youth groups. I did some of that not at your place, but I remember doing that growing up, going down yeah. to Mexico building buildings. I mean, that's like, that's so phenomenal that you're, we're now talking the other end of someone who's built that and seen that established. Wow. So tell us the bird's eye view. What, what do you guys do as an organization? Like really kind of walk us through the now. You have Romania, you have Mexico. Like talk about what you guys are building. Yeah. While we started as an orphanage, we actually became a church uh, with an orphanage, uh, family care programs, education programs. Wow. And so our main base is in, in Tijuana, Mexico. We've been there for 35 years. Um, and we do have education programs from preschool all the way through school admissions. So for adults. Wow. Um, and then uh, family care is, it's the alternative, it's the preventative to orphan care. And so mm-hmm. we will take care of orphans for as long as there's an orphan on the planet and believing that that will end. 
And then at the same time, family care is going after the family structure and, and seeing those families healed and thrive so that those kids don't end up in the orphanage institution. Um, I think six years ago, we planted in the similar to what we're doing in Mexico, in Romania. And uh, while it's a different country, different needs, the, the essence of it is the same. Of They need Jesus. So they need life. They need families restored. Well, I think I think I want to go. I want to transition over to kind of the business aspect of this because I'm sure cash flow is really easy running a ministry, a missions, and an orphanage. Um, and hundreds of thousands of square feet between the two properties. Yeah, yeah. Super yeah. easy. Like, no, so, no so you have you have a a, a particularly amazing story uh, about chicken and bread, and <laughs> tell us about this about how many years ago it was and how this happened. I, I think it was probably, uh, I was probably 12 years old. So we were about two, two and a half years into the ministry. Um, we were on that piece of property we just described, living in travel trailers. We had two new orphanage homes. And uh, myself, my parents were the first orphanage house parents. So I was living in the orphanage house with the first kids. Uh, and so at this time, there was probably about 40 kids on the property. That's all that we were doing. And uh, they were with us 24 hours a day. We were their home and their life. And uh, my parents called a staff meeting. And so you asked me, like, were they my parents inclusive? Like this, I was 12 years old and they called this to a staff meeting and I was there. So I was the um, I, construction crew and I was a bus driver at 12 years old. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, Child labor laws did not apply at that time of Tijuana, Mexico, when you were 12. Right. <laughs> For sure. It was, I kid you not, this is just funny, but I, I would drive the kids in the orphanage to a public school. We didn't have our own school yet. It was only three miles from us and it was dirt roads and there really was no traffic. But if my dad left, there was nobody else to drive. My mom wouldn't do it. She would go with me, but she wouldn't drive. And so I was so little when I was 12 years old, like it was a stick. And so I had to choose whether or not I was going to look over the steering wheel or push the clutch all the way in. <laughs> so I'd have to like slide down, push the clutch and change gears and then come back up. And That's go. amazing. Yeah. Wow. So they, they called us into a staff meeting and uh, my parents just, money was always hard, especially in the beginning. My parents had no real financial base when they came. They, they, the most of the building the first couple of years was out of their own personal finance. Um, from selling wow. uh, their home and business and all those things. And so we got to this point with two homes and 40 kids that my dad was like, Hey guys, this, this is different. Like we're out of money and I don't know where to go. Like I have, um, I've maxed out all of the credit cards. I've already talked to everybody we know. I can't keep talking to them over and over again. And he was like, this time it's like next Tuesday, we're out of food, not just money. And, um, and so I left the, we all left the meeting. There's like six people on staff and I was walking with my dad and going, what's going to happen. He's like, I don't know. I just don't know what's going to happen. Wow. He goes, but I, but I am sure of what he told us to do. And that's what we're doing. And, and so it got all the way to Tuesday and, uh, we had had a staff member come to my parents and say, listen, if you can't feed the kids, they need to go someplace else. They need to go back to social services. They need anywhere, but here, you can't have kids that you can't feed. And I just remember my dad saying like, it's not Tuesday yet. Wow. And, um, that's faith. Yeah. 
And, uh, and then we got to Tuesday and nothing had changed. And it was Tuesday morning. We were standing in front of the orphanage house, house one. And uh, <laughs> the same staff member came to my dad and said, hey, it's Tuesday. And my dad's answer was, it's not lunch yet, though. And uh, at, within two hours, I think it was 11 o'clock in the morning. Remember, we're at the end of a 10-mile dirt road. Nobody comes to our property unless they're lost. A truck came driving into the property, and a bunch of us went out to see it because nobody ever came. It was a big flatbed truck, and, and a driver got out. My dad asked him and said, hey, um, are you lost? And he said, no, I'm from a chicken ranch about 10 miles that way. And I was just, we just felt like you guys could use some chicken. And he ended up pulling, opening up the truck and looking at it. And there was 500 live chickens on the truck. (laughs) (laughs) We took him over to a shed and started unloading 500 live chickens into a thing, into the shed. And then, and then what most of us kids, first generations kids call it like, like the celebration slaughter started. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's amazing. And uh, the funny thing was like, we didn't, I mean, we we're from North, we we're from San Francisco Bay Area. We didn't even know how to kill chickens. <laughs> and, uh, we had a couple kids, though, that were experienced and they knew how. And, and it became quite the, uh, the, uh, the slaughter at the moment. And so we're killing chickens and, and you know, plucking the feathers, gutting them, doing all of those great things. Wow. And, uh, and we're doing that. Same question came to my dad of like, like hey, but you can't feed kids just chicken. And he was like, well, I can't wait to see what comes next. So while we're killing chickens, um, another truck came driving onto the property. This was a big box van. And uh, same question, same answer. Hey, are you lost? The driver said, no, I'm from a bread company. I felt like you guys could use some bread. And he unloaded 500 loaves of bread. And um, it, it just cemented in us that what he says what he's called you to do, who he says you are, is so much more real and tangible than the storm that you're in the middle of or the circumstance that opposes what he's called you to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. What's interesting is we talk about how, you know, we're as a career person, we're giving our lives to God and we're asking for his result. But it does require a faith and a process you would never lead yourself into. Your parents would have never chosen to go to Mexico, but they were led there you would have probably never chose to stay there, but you had this passion for what you guys built as a family. And you're getting a result because of faith that you can never get in your natural person. Like you couldn't get a truck to give you 500 chickens. People don't, honestly, like it's hard, you know, to get donations of any type when you're begging for them or asking for them. And, but when God leads someone to do it, it's just so miraculous when he, when he combines it. Now you guys are this many years later, decades later. Tell us about, I know that that story has to impact you when you say chickens and bread. And that's a th- saying around your, your, you know, your group, like talk about it organizationally, like having to build, we're, we're joked around about several hundred thousand square feet of building space. One is a renovation. One is a, a build from scratch, you know, and then you, you have, you didn't just build a church. You didn't just build ministry, but you're building programs that actually affect in society with therapy and helping people to rehabilitate and helping orphans to actually become, you know, leaders and citizens. A lot of your orphans have now become leaders, teachers, workers in your group they didn't even want to leave they, they got their education and came back and they're leading things amongst you talk about the the, the tension of building with god in those spaces of organizationally and yet 
relying on him. Yeah. Um, I, the obvious is, is you, we're, it, we're led by faith. We're led by the spirit of God. And then the reality of, okay, we have over a hundred employees. We, um, we have a budget that is a significant size budget to, to run the programs that we need yeah. to run to see transformation take place. And it, it, we're never not amazed at the provision that God supplies. And at the same time, you hold in the other hand, you hold, you hold this, this weight of stewardship mm, and yeah. administration of, okay, we've been entrusted with this resource that God has miraculously provided. And now how are we going to, to use wisdom and insight and stewardship to honor the people that are sacrificed and what God has brought into this place. I, um, I think, I think about five, six years ago, we went through a season where, um, the media in particular picked up on, uh, just violence in Mexico. Uh, anyways, yeah. the situation in Mexico, it was, it was over-exaggerated, um, and all of those things, but, uh, we, the result was we ended up losing, 50%, I'm sorry, almost 50% of our income. Oh, wow. As of teams. And so one of our major um, income streams is teams that come and serve and they pay to come and uh, it helps fund the programs that we're doing. This is a, a, as a businessman, this is what I love about Jimmy. All summer, churches and teams from all over the nation come. They pay, they pay That's to come awesome. and then he puts them to work. And they build so awesome. And so I, I, yes, mean, I, I applaud you. Yeah, let me yes. get this straight. They pay you to come and then they do your work for you. And he's like, uh huh. Yeah. yeah. And I just, but they love it. I've been down there on some of these mission experiences where all these teams are down there and they're mixing cement and building buildings, you know, for the, for the next orphan house. And, and so that happened. Yeah. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, just to like interject there, like uh, we're firm believers that, that mission strips require like service. And so like <laughs> we're, we're big. There's, I love ministry trips, but ministry trips and mission trips, I got to say. Are way different. Way and, different. Uh, <laughs> so half the day they are working, half the day yeah. we put a shovel in their hands. And I think 90% of the youth and people that come from really around the world now, uh, to serve. I don't know that they've ever held a shovel before, but oh. it is. <laughs> it's <just laughs> that is so, so sad, but so real. You know, it's, it is interesting because I've heard um, pastors, even here in Los Angeles, because a lot of people do missional things like Dream Center and things like, you know, we have here. And a lot of times school uh, ministry type places, places that have more theological schools or schools of ministry or boot camps, they'll send a team, the team wants to pray for people or they want to they want to speak into people's lives. They want to, they want to do a lot of the stuff that's like, that that's not helpful to the local mission. And then you get groups like where you're from, where the, you're creating people with that grit, that work ethic of to tr see transformation. You have to create real spaces, real programs. You have to do the daily work. You have to do the hard stuff. You, I mean, to establish something, it, you have to like get into culture and start from the beginning and go on a journey. And so I've seen a lot of missional groups that will come and you can tell the difference. A missional group will come and say, oh, do you need your bathroom's clean? And a theological ministry student might be like, who can I counsel? You know, and it's not wrong, but it's just different. You know, it's like, who can I pray for, for a miracle? You know, it's like, that's not what you need at your base right now because you're already seeing miracles. You need people to come and actually put their hands, you know, in it. And the other thing is that for people like me who went on these kinds of missions trips, it changed my world. Like it changed, that's what gave me the foundation to want to go see 
great change over systemic problems in society in different nations, especially war-torn nations and countries where there is no education. Like that's what got me on the journey is people like you who started bases in Mexico wow. because I went down and built, you know, on the property and, it, and I got my hands dirty. So when we were doing Katrina, we did a lot of relief in Katrina in America, different places, I did relief teams for years. And we went in, we'd work all day for 10 hours and just clearing trash and whatever. I mean, I was the pastor and I would work. And then we would go into a meeting that night. You know, I love that. I was the pastor. <laughs> well, no, I'm like going in and I'm like, okay, we got to clear know. out the refrigerators. We got to clear out the dump. We got to clear out the, I mean, it was, it was a trash yeah. zone. It's just the, fir the first level of Katrina when people, when people would come from teams and say, okay, we're here to work with you. And we're like, how's your back? <laughs> and they'd be like, not very good. Okay, well, you can, you can, you know, hand out trash bags, whatever. And they would just be shocked. Like, this is the kingdom. And they didn't get it. But I mean, that, there's organizations that do relief that are Christian that did really well. But I feel like a lot of the streams of Christians didn't know how to hold a shovel. So I love that you said that because it's so valuable. Back so, on to, go ahead, Bob. So what happened? What, ha you, what happened? You, you lost 50% of your teams because of this. Yeah, so a scare of Mexico was, was portrayed. And so we did, we lost, we lost 95% of our teams, which was almost 50% of our income. Wow. Wow. Um, it was actually the, it was quite a while ago because Gina and I had only been le senior leaders for a couple of years. It was like our intro. Yeah. We had come in, come in and started leading. My parents asked us to take over leadership and it was like several years of, it felt like real prosperity. Like our finances mm -hmm. were really good. We mm -hmm. took over, got a small dose of that and then lost almost 50% of our income like in a wow. day. And um, and we, when we were praying into it and just going, God, what do we do? How are we going to manage this? What is, you know, what are we supposed to do in this moment? The only thing we could actually get from God, Holy Spirit was don't stop doing anything you're doing. Mm. And, um, and yet there was no like, okay, but how? And so that was that was really for us like this timing of like we had the chicken store we have had 21 years of mm -hmm. miraculous and seeing God provide and yet at the same time it was okay we just lost 50% of our operating income and now what do we do and all we were getting from Holy Spirit was don't stop doing what you're doing. And so this is where stewardship and administration and of, okay, let's, let's hit the books. Like, let's dig into this and find the areas that we can cut. Let's, let's, um, let's, let's get as lean as we can get. And we weren't really a, um, a fat operation. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we did from top to bottom, like our staff did an amazing job. Our leadership team did an amazing job. We made really hard cuts. Um, and, and we just kept seeing small miracle after small miracle of provision showing up. In the midst of that, we had, um, we had a, something we were trying to do for a really long time was open up a high school. And we could never get the, the Department of Education in Mexico to allow us to do it. For some reason, we, we just couldn't qualify with them. So in the midst of not having that finance, um, we got a call from the Department of Education that said, hey, if you can um, if you can pull a building together and get it signed off by the city and get your students and get your teachers and staff together in the next 30 days, full life <laughs> as a high school. 30 days. And, uh, wow. and so now it was not just like that moment of, hey, you have 30 days to do this thing. You also are at the time where you're like, we have half the money we had last year. 
and yeah. we're, we're trying to do everything we can. And we, ne- we didn't lay anyone off and um, we did have to do pay cuts and we had to mm-hmm. do the hard things, but we were in the middle of that and had just no idea how to do it. And so we, we prayed about that and said, Lord, are we supposed to do it? And, and he was like, it's already in your heart. Um, and wow. it's, it's the thing that we're, we're considering that you're already doing. And so we went ahead and hired teachers with no money. We had 50 students sign up the first day, wow. um, which is big as we would go the first year. Had no idea how we were going to pay the students. I mean, pay the teachers at the end of those 30 days. Uh, at the same time, we were opening up. We were doing our first church conference and we were opening this tiny little coffee shop to uh, just create some social atmosphere on our campus had no plan of it making money um, but opened this coffee shop and and did it open it at the same time as the conference and the first week that we opened up the high school it made our payroll for the new high school and actually wow. over the course of that first year it actually paid almost to the penny what we needed to pay run the entire school oh my gosh um, we were probably six months into that loss of finance, the larger loss of finance. And um, we were still running, I think, about $4,000 behind a month. Yeah. And uh, and so I spent two days in my office just going like, we've already cut everything. But I spent two days going, we will cut everything that we can until we get to it. Two days later, I, I emerged from my office and I met with my wife, Gina, my sister, Karina, who's a both are on our senior leadership team. And it was like, I, I figured it out. We can make $4,000 worth of cuts and, um, and we're going to, we'll survive the rest of the year. Wow. And um, we sat down and looked at it and Gina, my wife and Karina, they look, they run through all the numbers with me and I go, yeah, we can do this. We, we can make it. <sighs> and then Gina looked up and said, well, we could do that. And we probably should. Or we could give the, that $4,000 away as seed money. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think this is really where you hold in your hand the difference of like stewardship, administration, wisdom, and being spirit-led and, and really marrying those two things wow. together. And, um, and we took a day and prayed about it, thought about it. We ended up taking the 4000 for that month we were going to cut and we sewed it into another orphanage in our city. Uh, and it's, the numbers are great, but we gave away $4,000 four days later. I got a call from a, another ministry um, that was managing a trust for, for our ministry. And they ended up releasing $400,000. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, to us. So, I mean, we're running out of time. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't believe we've run out of time, but but you know we're we're talking about an orphanage and a ministry and a missions experience but what we're hearing is what we all need to figure out is how to be spirit led how to be practical this intersection that Jimmy operates at of willing to willing to look at stewardship willing to look at the books willing to look at cuts and willing to listen to the holy spirit which i think Sean is one of the reasons why we started doing exploring the marketplace yeah. this intersection well, and I think of the businesses too that have to make the same cuts. And we've had businesses tell us very yeah. similar stories where they made cuts and then they got the best contract they ever had. Those kinds of things. So I love, I love when you're when there's that sewing aspect in it, when they gave money away. When they so it's I do want our listeners to hear that this isn't just because you love orphans, although I'm sure that that gives you a special 
I know it gives you a special blessing because of Isaiah 58. So it does, there's a special blessing in that. But it's not different as far as your, your normal human who has to make these incredible decisions and you're doing it with God. And you can run this in just a normal mindset, a human mindset that is even with great wisdom and you still won't get the result you're getting with faith. You add faith and it creates synergy because that was just that season. And now you guys have amplified and you know God's been multiplying your impact in the nations. I want our listeners to be able to, of course, hear your story, but I also want them to be able to go on mission trips to your base. Yeah. I want them to be able to sew into you guys. So how? what's the best way for people to get in touch with your ministry? I mean, you can go to our website online. So themissioninc.org is Perfect. the best place you can get a hold of us. And, and you can find, so you can adopt orphans, sponsor yeah. orphans. You can sign up for mission trips. Um, you, you want me to tell you one funny story before we go, Sean? Please. Um, so Jimmy and I, two, three, four, or five years ago, we were going through another stewardship thing, analyzing the profit and loss statement, trying to figure out how to cut expenses. And so I, we were on a call with uh, some accounting people, and there's this one thing that I zeroed in on, and this one program, and it had, what were the uh, LM, LM, I forgot what the an acronym was. Yeah. But I said, what is this right here? It's losing money and we have to cut the program. And so Jimmy, he said, those are the orphans. And I said, oh. and I said, I didn't even blink. I said, well, then cut that program and we'll be profitable. And, and then all the accounting people were like, who is this guy? And Jimmy and I were laughing. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was just it's just a funny thing about about how what their mission and mandate is. Yeah. It's really hard to get those orphans to pull their weight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jimmy, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. And, uh, I, we could do another one and another one and another one. But Jimmy, thanks so much for being with us. We're so honored to have you here. Up next, final thoughts with Sean and Bob. It's back to school season right now. And I have my Growing Up With God book and workbook for your children right now in a bundle. And if you get this bundle, you get an e-course called Spirit-Led Parenting by Seth Dahl, who's the children's pastor for a number of years at Bethel Church in Redding, California. Seth is gonna take you on a journey as a parent to really understand how to hear God and teach your kids the same thing, as well as the Growing Up With God book and workbook. And the workbook is so phenomenal. Kids can do it on their own, or you can use it as a Bible study time with you as a family. I want to encourage you as you're going back to school to put God in the center of it and make sure to get resources that would help you and your children grow today. Sean, wasn't that an amazing interview? I mean, Jimmy just knocked the cover off the ball, didn't he? He did. And I think it's so interesting how, you know, people come from a missions world, but they have to operate in real world. They have to operate in their society. Like even this, the fact that he was talking about how, you know, they were trying to get a high school built at that one point of time. And they just couldn't get the approval for it. And then they got the approval at a time when their budget was low, but they knew that they had a 30-day window. Just thinking about that as an organization, there's so many opportunities that we get that require faith to actually go forward, whether you're in a painting business like you, whether you know we do some real estate stuff and I also do ministry. It's like thinking about those jumps we have to make when God leads us to them and he opens those doors. I love that we have God to make those jumps with and because of him. It's amazing kind of the intersect and the intersection of faith and practicality. Most of us would would face that high school situation and say we just can't. But yeah, Jimmy doesn't. He has this really strong entrepreneurial spirit. And one of the things that he didn't talk about is, you know, he's out um building homes and selling homes for the ministry. Um, 
every single year. Anything wow. that he can do that he knows how to do with his entrepreneurial spirit, he's he's outdoing in addition to all the things that he talked about. And, and I think w- one of the things that we all have to think about is this work ethic and determination and grit that he displays yeah. is so uh, is so necessary in our in our businesses. Uh, in, in our jobs, if, if, if we could, if we can display that we're, we're the 1% of the people out there. It sounds like that's a secret sauce. I mean, it really does because I think of all the missions groups that I've for 27 years in ministry, I've gone to different places around the nations. And I could say a handful of them are left. They had good work for five to seven years and a handful are still existing. And yet Jimmy and Gina have inherited something from his parents and have taken it now for a long time, way past the parents' vision yeah. and into a whole 2.0, you know, and I love that because, but it sounds like to me, from what I just, in my interaction with you and him, there is something about just that determination, yeah. administration of what God's given you a vision for. And then also just that grit, just that raw entrepreneurship, I'm going to go for it. And I think we all need more of that. Well, thanks for joining us, Sean. This was a great interview, wasn't it? We had such a great time and you can catch past episodes by subscribing to our podcast. And also you can go to YouTube and see some of the things we're doing there. We're actually going to start doing some lives on YouTube where we actually do our podcast as a live event. So you can watch our podcast and hear Bob and I talk about some of the current events over inflation, over the housing market issues, over quiet quitting and employees, these kinds of things that that you're interested in, that we're interested in. We're going to be having a discussion about those together with you. So come join the conversation, join our YouTube channel, Subscribe to our podcast, review it, and tell your friends about it. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Thanks for listening to the Exploring the Marketplace podcast, part of the Exploring Podcast series. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing or even rating and reviewing so that more people can connect to us. Also, we'd love to be part of your spiritual journey, and we have amazing resources at our website, www.bowlsministries.com, B-O-L-Z ministries.com, including other free media, TV shows, books, and even an ongoing mentoring online platform. See you there.